everybody and welcome to Riding Cars with Cats. I'm super excited about today's episode. I get to be joined by someone who's really motivated me over the last uh, couple of years now. Someone who I really appreciate the work that they do and the value that they add to things. And so I really want you to enjoy this episode about personal experimentation where I'm joined with Sam Sperlin. Hello. Hello, Sam. Greetings. How's it going? It is going. It is going early, but well. It is. It is going very early. I've been. Uh, <laughs> I've been watching children's television shows for roughly the last twenty-eight minutes. And, Wonderful. Uh, yeah. So that's, Peppa Pig is. I, rec- I recommend a good way to start your day. Well, and you're and you're watching those by yourself, right? Oh yeah, just yeah. A personal the choice. Bed. I just, I just get up at six thirty and start watching, start watching well, you, shows. So you're a busy man, and you know you gotta, you gotta start your day off right. It's really all about maximizing your time when you really think about it. So you know you make those choices to get up early, and learn about Peppa and her family, and you know how those sorts of things work. So, uh, so first off, thank, thank you very much for joining me this morning. Uh, I know it is very early. It's, it's an hour earlier for you because you are in New York. Um, and you're up early because of, well, let's, let's start actually by introducing who you are and why don't you tell us a, a brief little bit about who you are and what you do and who you do it for. Uh, all right. Uh, my name is Sam Spring. I uh, work for a company called The Ready. Uh, we are organization design consultants, uh, which basically we work with uh, organizations that are starting to realize that old ways of organizing and uh, thinking about work uh, are not necessarily working particularly well in the complex, hyper-technological world that we live in now. And uh, the company that I work for, uh, we help them figure out how to organize and and work in in better ways. So I'm generally embedded with very large organizations for a long period of time and teaching and coaching and facilitating and trying to shift mindsets into a more agile, responsive, um, kind of dynamic way of, of working. And which is like, this is sort of how I came to, to meet you is that I met, uh, Aaron just through online, just through sort of following his work and, and then right. sort Aaron of Dignan, the like founder Aaron, of Aaron Dignan, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, and then I was kind of like, Oh, these people are doing really cool things. And, I was really specifically blown away, which is what I want to talk to you about this morning with sort of your own sort of personal experimentation model, sort of the idea that you have figured out not only are companies maybe not doing it right, but maybe there's a different way for individuals to do what they do. So wh- why did you come to the conclusion that uh, you needed to sort of practice on yourself this idea of trying new things and new methods? How did you come about that uh, that conclusion? Yeah, uh, that's a good question because I feel like I've always been doing this. Um, I think I think I've had a, a natural fascination for a long time about high performers and what makes them so. Um, I mean, maybe 
that comes from my my childhood experience of playing pretty high level youth hockey and seeing some of my friends um, go on and play professionally and trying to understand, um, especially the, some of my some of my former teammates who at the time when we were playing together, uh, you know, in middle school or so, were not the best players. And I was surprised by a few of my former teammates that went on to play at very high levels. And I realized that it was much more than, you know, these were not the most naturally gifted players that I played with, but evidently they had something else. Um, so I've just always kind of been fascinated about what tweaks can you make to how you uh, operate to improve it's just to improve things. Um, and we take the basic, the same basic approach with organizations as well. I mean, in, in a complex world, it's hard to sit down and specifically um, hypothesize cause and effect relationships. I mean, if you know anything about complex adaptive systems, it, it doesn't really work that way. So the only way to start making things um, change for the better is just to start trying stuff and see what and see what happens so i think i've adopted that for my own personal uh way of operating to the extent possible uh, that i can right and i mean a lot of companies and that's the thing like <laughs> i really like kind of the way you put it is it's not possible to just go like oh i wonder why that is oh it's probably this okay great let's go you know that that's fine there's there's so many aspects that come into it that without trying something you don't sort of realize what's what's not working so what was totally sort of the, and, yeah go ahead sir well, i was just gonna i was just gonna add there's a phrase that we use all the time in this work um we say you have to start by starting uh, and a lot of organizations and a lot of traditional consultancies you start by planning and you make a long plan and you you know figure out the roadmap and make some gantt charts which we are fundamentally opposed to we we find some safe to try experiments and we just start by starting and we see what happens and we grow and expand the stuff that seems to be working well. And we roll back or pivot as we find things that aren't working as well. So. well I like that a lot. I, I meet with a lot of local people that are sort of starting out like, Hey, I'm starting a business or I'm starting sort of a side project. And a lot of times they've gone through these, you know, complex, like, Oh, I'm going to write this huge business plan and it's going to have appendix after appendix, and it's going to have this. And uh, there's a quote, while I don't necessarily love the, the guy, um, there's a, a Mike Tyson quote about, you know, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Um, sure. Well, plans are, I, very, plans are very reassuring, right? Uh, it can right. Feel, like, oh, this is plans all, feel very, yeah. exactly. You feel like you're making progress when you have a plan. And we're not like anti-planning. You have to you have to put some thought into, we, we don't just come in and yeah. just start like we're doing things random <laughs> willy nilly, but there's a, there's a, there's a, a certain level that you get to in terms of, you know, you got to have some basic plans and then you just got to get in there and start and start doing some things. Yeah. There's a, uh, I've, I've worked with a couple of clients recently where we talked about, uh, you know, sort of their to-do lists and what they had sort of done was they'd spent all this time, like, figuring out the priority and then reordering lists and reordering lists and doing them again and figuring out what they wanted to do. And I was like, why don't you pick something off that list and do it today? And then yeah, see totally. how that, how that goes. Um, well, doing so things gives I, you more data about the world, right? And, and as you get more data about the world, your plans have to, or should probably change. I mean, the best way to, the most efficient way to, to remove something from a to-do list is not doing it. It's deciding you no longer need to do it. And you uh, get more and more of those opportunities once you actually start doing things. I, I, just, I just had a blog post posted uh, 
a couple of days ago on a, on an entrepreneurship post. And literally the, the title of the blog was just give up. Um, and nice. it was about the idea of literally like walking away from things on your to-do list. If it's a conscious decision, uh, mm-hmm. and, and not, you know, something you've been forced into is, is fantastic. And it's basically as good to a certain extent, if you've used, if the reason you've walked away from one of these things is you've prioritized what you actually want to do and what you actually should be doing, then, you know, don't feel bad about not doing that little tiny thing that you weren't going to do anyways. Um, yeah, totally. so what has been sort of one of the most interesting things? I mean, you say you guys, you guys work with obviously very large companies. What has been one of the surprising things that you found in working with these organizations about change and about experimentation? What, what's been something that you've been like, Oh, I really didn't think that was the way things were. Hmm, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm continually uh, surprised by how even really some really minor changes can have um, really large effects in, in some of these organizations and also just how simple some of the changes are. So here's a, a really simple example that we almost always do pretty early on in our engagement with a client. Uh, when we uh, facilitate meetings at the ready, we use uh, something called a, a check-in round at the beginning. And all a check-in round is there's a question that the facilitator asks of the, the team, and everybody has the opportunity to just go around in a circle and uh, answer the question. And it's not really a place for general conversation. A good facilitator will probably um, try to, to shut down too much crosstalk. But the idea is that in about three minutes, everybody in a meeting has had their voice heard. Um, everybody has had a nice little reminder that all of the their teammates are human and that we're all kind of trying to do the best that we can. And it's a real centering way to kick off uh, a meeting. And again, I mean, that's really like almost a inconsequential, like simple, tiny little thing to start doing in an organization. But if you get uh, a large company, if you get the people who are running meetings there to just start this little practice of, of kicking off meetings this way, it can have um, really kind of profound impact in, in how meetings start to go. And we often actually that close meetings with a closing round, which again, it's the same type of thing. You're just going to ask a question of the team and it's generally like a reflective question. The idea being that uh, coming together and meeting we can, it's a skill that we can get better at. And if we build a little bit of reflection into how we just did in that meeting into the end of each of our meetings, then we can constantly be getting better every time we come together uh, as a team. So those tiny little practices, you know, can have a big effect uh, across a lot of people and across a lot of time. Do you find a large, um, like, do you find a lot of push? I mean, obviously when companies come to you guys, they're, they're, they're obviously willing to make some changes. They've obviously recognized that, you know, this is necessary, but do you find even, even with that sort of introductory level of being okay with change that you still get a fair amount of pushback or are you finding that companies are, are are really starting to change or are they still like, look, this isn't the way we, we do things here. I mean, I think there's always, I've, I've yet to come into an organization where 100% of the people are on board. I mean, generally, the leader or leaders who reached out to us and hired us have a certain uh, willingness to try some new things, but they're generally part, a part of a team that, you know, it's unlikely that there was a unanimous decision to, to either hire us or to do uh, our, our approach to things. I mean, the way 
there's a lot of different ways to to, to think about um, engaging with people who are hesitant to to change. One thing that I come back to a lot is that because we are in this using this framework of experimentation, uh, we talk about doing pilots all the time. Is that uh, our our experiments are tend to be pretty time bound. So we can say something like, well, we're just going to try, we'll, we'll try the check-in round for, you know, the next month. We'll do it for the next you know, four weeks or so, and then we'll talk about it and see how it went. And in general, a lot of the changes, once you've actually had a little bit of coaching and you've actually experienced them, um, people very rarely have a negative reaction to it. And that's one of the key things for the, for the people who are hesitant to change, you have to give them a safe place to actually experience the change. You can't, you will never convince them by just talking about the change. You have to get them to actually take the action, uh, kind of embody the behavior and give them a sense of what it actually feels like. So that's where the whole mindset of an approach of experimentation is, is usually try to lower the bar enough that they're willing to, to try something out at least for a short period of time. Right. There's this, uh, there's a, uh, when I used to be a, a corporate trainer, we had this, we had this one thing that we had to every agent on every call had to click this button. It was the dumbest thing in the world. It was, you know, they just had to click it for really no reason. Um, but literally no one was, uh, like a large number of people just fundamentally refused to click this button. I don't know what they thought was going to happen. Uh, and anyways, with my team, I ended up getting really good numbers by this idea of like, just click it once, like just start it, just click it once and, you know, see that it's safe. It's okay. Nothing's going to happen. Then click it again. And it had to do with a, with a sales portal that we were using, which everyone was really worried about. Oh God. And then I'm going to have to be selling, selling, selling. And it, it really wasn't. Um, but it's funny how once they, once people sort of see that, Oh, it's like things aren't going to just end or be terrible when I start doing this little thing. And, maybe it's going to make my life better, but that just hearing about it never, my, my wife tells me all the time, my, my wife's a, a naturopathic doctor and my wife will tell me like, Oh, you know, this is going to be really good for you. And I always find like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. And then I try it. And I'm like, Oh, this is really great. And you know, <laughs> she's always like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm aware. I know that that's the thing. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't really very well sometimes. Right. What is, so in your personal experimentation and the things that you've, you know, tried to, to try on your own, what has been one of the most surprising or interesting or fun personal experimentations that you've, uh, that you've gone through? Sure. Uh, so a few years back, I accidentally became a vegetarian for like three years. Um, that just came out of a one month experiment to um, try eating uh, as a vegetarian. I found it. Uh, at the time, really surprisingly easy, and I felt really good, and I decided to just renew my one-month experiment, and I ended up doing it for about uh, about three years before deciding to, to transition back into um, a more uh, diverse uh, diet. But that, was a, that one was always really surprising to me, because I... I never would have made the decision to like, all right, I am now a vegetarian. I am going to be a vegetarian for the next three years. Like that sounds scary and, and, and frankly kind of crazy. Uh, but right. for me, you know, just trying it for a month and then continuing to do it because it continued to feel good and I continued to enjoy it. Um, uh, that was, yeah, that was a, that was a fun one. 
Um, I, don't, I mean, I've done things in the past around like um, making sure that I hit a certain word count every day with my writing. Um, I mean, I think almost every good thing that has happened to me professionally has been because of the pretty consistent writing that I had been doing. So developing that habit had really um, been been positive. Uh, but yeah, I, I usually have at least at least one active experiment going uh, at any at any one time. And I often will come back around to things that I've done in the past, but have stopped doing and will try them again. So what's uh, do you have an active experiment on the go right now? Um, yeah, I mean, so I'm getting up earlier than I I, I'm I'm definitely a morning person, but I have decided to really lean into getting up at 5 a.m., which is about half an hour to 45 minutes earlier than I normally do. Um, so I'm experimenting with that right now to see how how I feel and if getting up that a little bit earlier has any um, positive ramifications. And then I'm also trying um, right now. I am training um, jujitsu for the for the first time, yeah. just to to give it yeah. a give it a try. And I thought it would be an interesting thing. So I'm doing a couple, a couple times a week. I am doing, uh, doing that. Those are the two that pop to mind right now. Okay. So it's when you say that it's funny when you say the vegetarian thing, because I, I did the same thing, not sort of out of an experimentation, but at one point years ago, like literally probably eight or nine years ago, maybe even a little bit more, I decided that wasn't feeling great actually after I was having big meals. And often if I was having big meals that involved meat. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I stopped eating meat and my thought was I'll stop eating meat for like a month or two and like see how I feel. And then I just kind of fell into the idea of like, Oh, I feel like way better right now. Um, <laughs> so I gave up meat for a month or a, a year, sorry. And wasn't planning on going back on it. I was just kind of like, oh, everything's fine. And then I went to Alberta for a conference um, and Alberta is not necessarily where you want to go if you are interested in being a vegetarian. Um, <laughs> it's basically like everywhere I went, they were like, this is Alberta beef. Here you go. And so I ended up having some and, and feeling fine. And I think I just kind of had yeah. to, you know, get it through my system. But it's, it's funny when you say the thing about like, I didn't think I would enjoy it. There's a lot of things that I've done that I didn't think I would enjoy. And I think in general, we have like sort of preconceived notions of what would be good and what would not be good. When I started running years ago, I thought, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fat dude. I don't want to run. This is not going to be good. <laughs> uh, and then I found out like, oh, if I pop in a set of headphones and some music I like to listen to, I love to run. Um, so finding those things I find really interesting. Um, yeah, human beings are terrible. Human beings are terrible at actually knowing what we like and don't like. I, we are, I don't know. I mean, I think studying psychology has given me an appreciation because how like paradoxical and weird humans are. And yeah, exactly. You know, sitting here and trying to predict what I will and what I won't like, uh, it's a, it's a useless thing. So like, why don't I actually go and try some things and then actually have some real data about whether or not I do like something. Well, there's two, and there's two parts about that I want to speak to. The, the first part is the idea of, of humans being just probably the worst judges on the planet of what w of what will actually happen or what we'll like and things. Like, I find it so ingrained because, you know, I'm, I'm a parent now. I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old. Sure. And just the sheer concept of, like, you know, will you eat this? And a child who is just committed <laughs> to the idea that they hate a food they have never, ever put in their mouth. And we'll just like be yeah. so intently focused on the idea of like, no, no, I don't like that thing. 
and half the time with my son, especially once he has it, he's like, Oh, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah, no, I like that. And you're like, how is it that we are so bad at like, so fearful of these, of these sorts of things. Um, yeah. Children are just more honest about it. (laughs) Adults have just built, built up our, our kind of facade of being an adult. And we have, we can, we can rationalize it, right? Kids don't even attempt to rationalize it because they're kids and they don't know what that even means. But adults, we have all sorts of awesome reasons that we can articulate about why we don't want to do a thing or why we don't like a thing. Same. It's the same process. Yeah. Um, now, the other thing you've said, which I think is super important, is that a lot of people will try things and not actually track the data behind it. Like, they'll be like, oh, I, you know, I, I did this for a little while and it didn't really work. And you, and they don't sort of track the data. So can you get into a little bit about, like, how important it is for you to actually track, you know, what you're doing and what the result is when you're done with it? Yeah, I've always been fascinated by the quantified self movement, you know, the basic idea of just tracking the the data that you generate in your life and um, analyzing it and looking at it and, and making decisions from it. I I guess I, I'll i go through periods of time where I take it very seriously and I'm tracking all sorts of things and I kind of have my baseline stuff that I've been tracking for years that it just feels like habit now. Um, I don't know. I think I think it's, again, this goes back to the how good we are at convincing ourselves of something um, that may not be true. If you have data, it's, it's harder to do that to yourself, right? You can, you can have this subjective experience of whether something was good or bad. And that's certainly important, but I think it's also helpful to look at a more objective uh, source of information as well, which will be, you know, if you were somewhat diligent about um, collecting the, the relevant data. And I think it's possible to take it too far. I mean, I'm not kind of a slave to the data that I'm generating on myself, but I just, I appreciate being able to triangulate uh, my position on something using a couple different sources, you know, the subjective experience of yes or no, this was good or bad, but also, you know, what the, the data is actually telling me as well. Well, I think, you know, I, I like the data, the data aspect of it. I last year was working on writing a book and I've always, I've convinced myself over the years that I'm a night owl. I've convinced myself that I do my best work at night. I'm so good at working at night. I'm just the best at working at night. And then, uh, and so I would stay up super late doing this work. And then I actually started using an app to track, you know, the speed at which I was writing um, as it went on through the evening. And it turns out like I'm actually pretty bad after about 10 o'clock at doing anything using my brain. Um, and, and I just, I convinced myself because it was the time I was able to do things. I just convinced myself that, oh, I'm so good at doing it then. Um, and, and, you know, when I actually looked at the data, I was like, oh, I'm really not. Um, I I like what you've said too, about that the subjective experience of, you know, was that good? Was that bad? Is, is still an important data point. Like there still has to be value in whether or not something's enjoyable, not just did that work out. Um, so I, you know, I I really like that you've worked that in. It's not just, you know, as you said, sort of a slave to those metrics. Um, I mean, I think with, with you go only, if you take only subjective, sometimes things can feel pretty crummy in the short term and while the data is maybe showing something else. And so I think having those multiple sources of, of truth, um, maybe allows you to be a little bit more patient, um, with some sort of change. Um, you know, change is not 
always going to be something that has results uh, right away. So you got to sometimes give it some room to breathe. Nice. Um, so how do you find, so do you sort of, when you've run an experiment and it's gone well, so you run a personal experiment on yourself in terms of whatever it is, uh, how do you find that it just becomes a natural part of your routine to then stick with that if it's something you found a positive or do you find that you still have to, you know, continuously check in with doing things that you've proven are the right things to do? Uh, I think it's a combination of both. There are certainly some things that have just become um, second nature and are just part of what I what I do now, or I've built it into the checklists and reviews that I use to to run my life. So it, you know, it's just part of it. And then others, I think I consciously um, have to check in with. And, and, and then there's definitely some, like my vegetarian experiment, where I deliberately stop doing it. And uh, maybe I'll revisit it in, in the future, but just because even if I had a successful experiment, doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to bake it into my daily habit because maybe, uh, maybe it has some sort of cost that, you know, while I still had positive results, I don't want to necessarily pay that cost um, over the long period of time. So I don't, I don't actually, I really don't sweat too much whether or not I'm building these habits or building these experiments into kind of this overall um, uh, inventory of, of habits. Uh, I try to just kind of take them um, on their own, on their own merit and individually. Right. Yeah. So, so sort of like, Hey, if it turns out that you, you know, decide you want to start doing that, then great, but you're not going to just be like, all right, well, here's now the things I'm going to do based on, you know, these, these spreadsheets I've, I've figured out. Um, yeah, I think it's helpful to, I mean, I think what I'm, what I'm aiming to do is lower the resistance to trying things. And if I, if, if in my mind, I'm, I'm telling myself that every experiment, that every successful experiment I do has to just become part of who I am now, I think, I don't know, that, that can be kind of scary um, to be well, puts a adding on, some sort of new habit like pressure. 12 times a year. Yeah. So I, I try to relieve yeah. myself of that responsibility. And if, and if, it, if something right. sticks around for the long term, that's cool. Um, that means it was really good. And if it doesn't, that's fine too. Right. And by thinking of it as a as an experiment rather than – and that's the other thing, as you kind of said, about, you know, our, our overall – even though you're, you're very conscious of it, we still as people are quite resistant to a lot of change. So the idea that, you know, these experiments are in some ways just priming you for a state of – uh, you know, willingness to try new things. Um, yeah, totally. I, I think it is, is an important value. So, yeah, it's developing the meta skill of like enjoying change or knowing how to deal with change or even looking forward to change, which I don't know. I mean, I'm not to be uh, super Buddhist or anything, but being comfortable <laughs> with change and the idea that there is impermanence in the world strikes me as a particularly um, adaptive skill. I think it's huge. I, I you know, I, I said before I worked as a corporate trainer for a company and, you know, that company, you know, my job at one point was to go into a room full of 15 people at a time and tell them that we were downscaling their medical plan and getting rid of their pension plan. Um, 
And these people had been, yeah, it was a really, really fun job for two days of telling this to 2000 people. Um, but you know, the idea that people get in their mind that like, they are, that that things aren't going to change like, Oh, I've got this now and this is how things are. And so everything's, you know, going to stay this set way. Um, and the idea of being comfortable with how you, how you react to that change is, uh, I, I think of a huge, huge value. Um, so what would you say? So the, the people that listen to this are typically, uh, people that are starting their own businesses, people that have been running their own business, people that are thinking about it. Um, you know, employees who want to sort of maximize how they're, how they're able to, you know, adapt and, and work at their life. So what would you say is a good method or technique or something to get people started with, uh, some personal experimentations? Yeah, uh, two things. One is just start a list of potential experiments. The, the the items that you'll put on this list, you're not committing to in any way. They're just ideas. And I will have ideas for experiments hit me, I guess, random times throughout the day. And I know that I have a place to, to record all of those. Uh, so I won't I won't lose them. So one is just start building that list. You know, you could sit down for 15 minutes and probably generate a couple and then just try to, as other uh, ideas for experiments, I get a lot, a lot of mine actually from things that I read. Um, but if you know you have a place to collect them, you'll be more likely to actually do it. And then the second thing I would say, um, if you don't, if you have some sort of like monthly practice around um, just looking at how the previous month went. Maybe it's part of uh, looking and managing your finances or if you have any sort of personal kind of productivity habits around just reflecting at the end of the month, I would add an item to that checklist. I'm a huge fan of checklists because, again, my memory <laughs> is terrible. But I have, you know, basically on my on my weekly and my monthly checklist, I have a reminder to just take a look and decide if I want to um, start up uh, an experiment this month. Uh, and sometimes I don't, you know, sometimes I, I give myself some, uh, some time off, but at least I know I have that checklist item that will present me with the option of taking a look at my list and uh, picking something from it uh, or not. But those two habits kind of ensure that I'm never too far away from, from trying something new. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you very much for joining me this morning at this yeah, ungodly it. international hour. <laughs> um, I have to, uh, you know, go finish some, some Peppa Pig and uh, That's right. find out what happened to Gran- Grandpa Pig and this boat, um, which is important, <laughs> you know, it's important to know these things. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for joining me today. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I really appreciate it. It's, uh, you know, there's been a lot of things that I've, started and tried and thought about in relation to the the work I've seen you doing. So, um, yeah, you know, keep up the good work, which I don't think you need to be told, but, uh, I really do. I really appreciate uh, what you do. So, yeah. Thank you. Awesome. You have a great day and, uh, yeah, I'm sure I will talk to you soon. Yeah. Take care. All right. Thanks a lot, Sam. Yep. No problem. Bye. Hey everybody. Thanks for joining me this week. Uh, really hope you enjoyed the talk with Sam. I um, Just a really valuable voice and insight into how we can do better work. And a lot of the things that I'm doing now, I definitely owe to uh, some 
some great inspiration from Sam. So I hope you all enjoyed it. As usual, if you have any questions, please reach out to us. You can reach us across all platforms at One Red Cat Media. You can also email us at uh, mike at oneredcat.com. And uh, I look forward to hearing what you thought, what you think, what you need, what you want, and everything in between. Take care.